Get the Balance Right, a podcast for creative female entrepreneurs who want to get control of their finances, make more money, and live a balanced life. I'm your host, Heather Zeitzwolf, CPA and profitability coach. Join us each week to learn ways to run a more profitable business through inspiring discussions with financial professionals, business experts, and thought leaders. If you're looking for a quirky spin on business with a dab of woo-woo, grab your headphones. Together, we will break through our fears, live a life of abundance, and get the balance right. Hello, and welcome to Get the Balance Right Podcast. I am your host, Heather Zeitzwolf. Our focus on today's show is the importance of having a healthy work-life balance and taking time for self-care. To discuss this topic, we are joined by Katherine Burmeister, who is an attorney, speaker, and coach. She is also the author of the book, Overcoming the Addiction to the Status Quo, which was inspired by her own difficult journey of overwork. After clawing out from her rock bottom, she has become passionate about sharing her experience to help others move towards a more balanced lifestyle. Catherine is very down to earth and a compassionate soul. Because she was seeing attorneys suffer with stress, overwork, and burnout, she implemented the Happiness Lawyer Program, which you can find on her website. In addition, she is an active member of the Animal Legal Defense Fund and the ACLU, which are two organizations that I have a lot of admiration for and have personally supported. Years ago, I volunteered with the ACLU and was on the Youth Outreach Committee. Although I haven't volunteered with them in a long time, they are still one of my favorite nonprofits to support. Towards the end of the interview, Catherine and I chat about the ACLU, and you might be a little shocked by our conversation. In case you haven't heard of the ACLU, the acronym stands for the American Civil Liberties Union. They are the nation's largest public interest law firm with 50 state networks and appear before the United States Supreme Court more than any other organization except the U.S. Department of Justice. They defend cases around reproductive rights, privacy, and voting, and fight for things such as racial justice, prisoner rights, and free speech. The ACLU was founded in 1920, and this is a quote, to defend and preserve the individual rights and liberties guaranteed to every person in the country by the Constitution and laws of the United States. As such, their contribution to society has come under a great deal of controversy. In fact, some people vehemently hate them. If you're not familiar with the ACLU, then you may be wondering why. The ACLU treats all individuals the same under the law, equal justice for all. Therefore, they tend to defend individuals who are going against the norm, and I'm using air quotes, such as recently there was a case defending the rights of a transgender student, but also have defended a Baptist church's anti-gay protests. The ACLU comes under a lot of fire because they support and defend everyone's freedom of speech, regardless if it is considered hate speech. This may seem crazy to you, but hear me out. Please listen with an open mind. Just think about it this way. You may not agree with something someone says, but to take away their right to say it will only encroach on your right to freedom of speech. 
I do not condone hate speech, but I do support an individual's right to express themselves, even if it is hateful, as long as it does not include violence. You may not agree with me, but as a podcaster, an activist, and an American citizen, my right to freedom of speech is extremely important. You might be thinking, why is she telling me this? I thought this show was about work-life balance. Okay, I it is, I promise. But as I mentioned earlier, you might be slightly shocked by our conversation that I have with Catherine around censorship and how we both agree that everyone has the right to speak and demonstrate, regardless how offensive they are. Defending our right to freedom of speech is even more important now that we are living in the rise of cancel culture. If you're interested in learning more about the ACLU, I have included some links in the show notes, including an article on their site entitled Defending Speech We Hate. Hopefully I've intrigued you rather than pissed you off, but if I did, please consider these two quotes. The first one is from Noam Chomsky. If we don't believe in freedom of expression for people we despise, we don't believe in it at all. And Voltaire said, I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. All right, now that I've gotten that out of the way, let's get back to the topic today regarding work-life balance and self-care. If you haven't listened to episode 54, I recommend that you listen to that one after this one. It's a solo episode where I provide 10 inexpensive ways to bring more balance to your life. Yeah, balance is something I'm really struggling with, and I should be taking my own advice more often. Many entrepreneurs suffer from this, but I'm hoping that you're taking care of yourself. It's really difficult when you're an entrepreneur, especially a solopreneur, because you wear so many hats in your business. But it's so important to remember our health. Think about this. We can build a seven-figure business, but if we neglect ourselves in the process, we can end up physically and mentally sick. It really doesn't matter how much money that you have if you don't have your health. It may seem like a cliche, but it's so true. I'd love to know if self-care and work-life balance is something that you struggle with or if you've totally nailed it. Please DM me on Instagram. And if you have discovered ways to build a more balanced life, please let me know. I'd love to share your methods on the show. All right, let's get to it. Here is my discussion with the smart and insightful Catherine Burmeister. Catherine Burmeister, welcome to Get the Balance Right podcast. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yes, this is going to be a fun conversation. I've got to ask you about a few things that I saw on your website. So it says that you are a personal injury lawyer. You're the author of the book, Overcoming Addiction to the Status Quo. And I saw a little blurb on your website that says, I love this, unconventional author, speaker, and attorney focused on helping others. Can you explain that? (laughs) Unconventional in the sense that I am willing to go against the status quo to really do whatever I need to do for my clients and to make my life happier at the end of the day. I'm a huge proponent of happiness being our purpose here and living the most fulfilling version of ourselves is how you get to happiness. And that's my measure of success is happiness. So very unconventional in terms of your stereotypical lawyer. I have an unconventional practice. I've run a remote practice since before it was cool, before COVID. 
since 2018, I've had a remote practice. I have three paralegals that are all out of state and I've had them for about three years now. Even now, I'm still morphing into a non-traditional, even more non-traditional practice, cutting back my cases by the end of next year, doing strictly motion practice, and then pushing forward with my other business, which is the writing, the speaking, and the coaching of lawyers. I love that. Well, I'm an unconventional CPA and you're an unconventional lawyer, but we yep. must add that we both work within the realm of the law. So Exactly. <laughs> you have can, to follow that. <laughs> yeah, we're unconventional, but it's within the means of the law. Okay, got that out of the way. Can you explain what the title of your book means exactly? I hit my rock bottom in 2018. It was October of 2018. And basically it was my body shutting me down for lack of a better phrase. I've dealt with anxiety and depression for most of my life actively managed, but that doesn't mean it goes away. And I had a number of tumultuous events occur that led me to that rock bottom. In a nutshell, my founding partner at my dream job, he'd been practicing for 30 years. Everybody loved him, would give you the shirt off of his back. He ended up committing suicide. He had been stealing from clients for eight years and left notes detailing it, left myself and two associates to deal with the fallout aside from the obvious, just not even knowing where to start. And I tried to salvage a law firm with the most senior associate myself and one paralegal. And so I basically ran that practice for a year because the senior associate, now my new partner, he checked out mentally and physically. He just was not engaged. And I'm extremely empathetic and sympathetic to what he was going through and what we were all going through, but we were all going through it. And so Myself and my paralegal still showed up every day to deal with 70 some odd cases and litigation and, and everything that that required. After a year of that, my body just said, nope, you're done. And adrenaline's not going to keep going. So I hit my rock bottom, which was I started having suicidal ideations. Luckily, I'm aware enough to know with mental health where I was and called my husband home. And he met me at home. And it's almost as if a switch was flipped overnight. Now, looking back on it, when I was writing my book, I realized what finally happened. I had finally proven to myself that I was enough. And up until that point, I never really believed that no matter what I'd done. At the time, I didn't know what, it, what I had done, what had happened, what, you know, it was that paramount shifting. What I call it is addiction to the status quo. And I don't use the term addiction flippantly. I genuinely believe that it's a addiction to the point where people are doing detrimental things to themselves, to others, all in the name of keeping up with what's expected of them societally and that they impose on themselves because of those expectations. I want people to overcome that addiction to the status quo. And my message with the book is that you don't have to hit rock bottom like I did before you start making changes in your life and start actively managing your health, mental health and pursuing happiness. I, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. Yeah. That is just really horrendous. In my notes before we met, because I knew that you were a lawyer, I'm a CPA. We both have to go through rigorous studying, tests in itself is already difficult. We are expected to work really long hours, really know everything. It, there's a lot of pressure on us to be able to be up on all the laws. That's already rough enough. And now you've got this on top of it. Wow. That was a lot to deal with. I didn't have your situation, but this past year, my mother passed away during tax season. I was having to deal with that and still help people with their tax returns. It's something that I don't want to relive. So it's yeah. really rough. And I found myself in this situation, and I talked about it a little bit on the podcast before and right after my mom died, 
it was a situation where I found that I didn't have enough buffer. Like I needed more help in my business. I needed to have more hours to myself. I didn't have the time built in to grieve because I didn't have any extra hours set aside for myself. This is something I'm real passionate about as well is I still haven't found that balance yet. I'm still working on that balance in my business and I'm dedicated next year to finding that. (laughs) So I'm so glad to have you on the show and to talk about this because I feel like I can learn from you because you've been through all of this and you're working your way out of this. You've written a book. Entrepreneurs, we work our butt off. (laughs) We're passionate about the business. We get all in it. We start to forget about families, friends, for me, housework, and then our health and exercise and all these things. So where do we start? Where, Where do you think that we can start with this? first thing we have to recognize is the concept of work-life balance. It it doesn't exist. Let's just throw that out the window and realize that it's not possible. Okay. Think of it as a pie. It's a pie of how we allocate our time during the day, any day, any week, any month, every year. And that's what we need to focus on how we're allocating. So it's not going to be a balance between work and life because we're the common denominator. We're the one that's in every area of that, especially as entrepreneurs. You can't just leave work at work, come home, do that and be done. It would be nice if it was black and white, but it's not. It's a lot of gray. Really focusing instead on, okay, I've got a pie, finite amount of time. How am I going to allocate it? And that's what you do. And you realize that one, there's no such thing as perfection. So let that go. It's literally impossible. I put out a quote in my book from Stephen Hawking. If perfection existed, like we wouldn't exist. It just is not possible. So that's really a relief because we still think if we try hard enough, we'll be per- No, it, you can't. So let it go. <laughs> And the other thing is realizing that's going to change from day to day. It's not always going to be, I'm a great business owner. I'm a great wife. No, sometimes it's going to be, okay, I got out of bed and got dressed. (laughs) That is the threshold some days. You know, it's going to fluctuate. It's not going to be equal parts of the pie either. So really giving yourself grace and recognizing, okay, these are the things I have to do. And I'm going to have to allocate a certain amount of time, sleeping, eating, mental well-being, and hours to work. And then all this other stuff that can fluctuate amongst those other areas in your life. Getting away from that idea that it's just one or the other, and it has to be the same every day and you have to be perfect at it is a hugely freeing concept because I think it takes the pressure off of it as well. What makes it also harder, I think for so many folks right now is that we are working predominantly in our house. So there's no separation between our business now and our personal life. Do you have any suggestions on that for people that are in their house working? What I do, this is actually technically like a a sitting room because people have this anymore, but (laughs) this is a sitting room in my house. When you come in the hallway here, this is what I have and I've converted it into an office. I think having this separate from my couch, even though I'll work on the couch sometimes, it's just nice to have a separate area that is like, okay, this is my work mode. I say that. And then I also think it's hugely important to be able to take breaks or change your scenery, go work somewhere else. Or like, I'll even go to a brewery sometimes, honestly, on a Friday afternoon, have a beer and do some work. It's just changing it up a little bit. I think having a little bit of a routine, getting up, Even if you don't do your hair and makeup, because I just don't need to every day, so I'm not going to, get coffee, get your breakfast, sit down at reasonably the same time every day in the same area. And that way you feel a little more centered in terms of what you're doing and and what your mode is. I'm in work mode now. As much as I say it's not separate, you go across all areas of your life, you can have certain things set up to make it easier to bounce back and forth, your personal life and work. I want to really stick to calendar blocking. And this is one of my goals for next year is calendar blocking. I'm actually going on a CEO retreat next week 
just to plan out next year and to make sure that I have enough time for myself for vacations and everything that I want to do in my business instead of being like, oh, I got this great idea. Now I want to implement another thing. Do you have any ideas about how to block off time? Do you have any tips on that? I love that idea too. It's harder for me in my legal practice because things come up, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you get new client calls or, you know, new business calls. Like you don't put those on the back burner, right? Right. (laughs) Call the person back. So those are the only exceptions to the rule. But for me, I generally like having conversations with clients or even other attorneys in the afternoon. So between two and five, that's when I schedule those calls. If I'm networking, I only do it certain days a week, networking in person, but I still even try to only keep it to two days a week, whether it's in person or not. I can get my mind geared up. I'm an introvert at heart. So I kind of have to gear myself up to go out and network and be kind of on, for lack of a better phrase. So having my mindset about, okay, this day I'm doing this, this day I'm doing that, it makes more sense. If you're networking all on one day or two days, it's more efficient than spending five days a week bouncing to lunches and then bouncing back to, you know, substantive work that you're trying to get done. It's just, you're going to be all over the place. Knowing your strengths and weaknesses are are a big thing too. I don't want to have conversations early in the morning with my clients. I want to get an ease into my day, get things going. And then by the end of the day, everything's rolling, knowing yourself and then generally doing time blocks. So it may not be specific tasks. Like I said, it, I need it to be more general for what I do, but you can do those calls, networking, following up on emails, things like that to keep yourself on track. But what you have to remember is you have to include time for yourself. And I think it's so easy for us as business owners to say, okay, I'll put that there, but then I can move it because I've got other you know, things to do. We always have things to do. I mean, there's never not going to be something for us to do as business owners. So part of you being a business owner is taking care of yourself. It's like wearing an oxygen mask on a plane. You put it on yourself before you put it on a you know, kid because they, you can't pass out. <laughs> We've got a problem then. So you've got to do the same thing with your business. You've got to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. You explained in your business that it's being a lawyer, it's difficult. You know that things are going to come up. Do you try to put some sort of buffer in there or how do you try to accommodate for those types of things? I'm really good about setting boundaries. I've always been good about it personally. I'm kind of cut for it when it comes to that. With business, it was a little more difficult for a while, but then I started realizing that people will survive. Nobody is going to die, generally speaking, if they have to wait till two o'clock to have a call with me, clients or otherwise. Setting boundaries, managing people's expectations. So not just doing that and then not telling people, you know, if you don't tell people, they're not going to magically read your mind. But I also set boundaries by cutting off my day. I start at 8.30 in the morning and end at five in terms of accepting calls. After a certain point, if a client contacts me, the biggest thing is you can't respond via text. If you respond via text, even though they've texted you, you're still going to set that precedent that you'll start answering texts after your day is done. I do emails after hours. That's another thing that's separate to me. But generally just setting those boundaries about not being willing to have communication out a certain time frame. So you can't hold them to that standard and not hold yourself to the standard because then it's just going to go out the window. I make sure I have time for myself. I'm, like I said, introvert heart. I'm a deep thinker. I think being an only child is part of it too. I just need me time. Like I have to have it or else I will not be functioning well. So really blocking that off. And whether it has to be certain times during the week, say today, I had a lot of meetings back to back to back. So I may take most of tomorrow to decompress, whereas normally it would just be each evening type of thing. I've tapped into it myself enough to know what I need. And that's one of the biggest hurdles I think people have. And I work with lawyers specifically as the happiness lawyer to help them figure out where are you? Where do you want to be? And how do we get you there? But if you don't know yourself, 
how can you possibly make changes about where you want to go from there? I love this about boundaries. And this is another thing that I struggle with, other people struggle with, because we want to help our clients. We mean well. And then we send text messages in the evening or answer email. And again, it's tough because you're at home and there's that work life separation. It's really difficult. But I love the idea of like maybe switching it up, going someplace else that you talked about, like going to the brewery and maybe just having that kind of something like that to cut you off from that idea that it it all molds together and just mixes together. Yeah. And when it does that, it's really hard to have boundaries. I love that. You'd mentioned something that I wanted to ask you about, which is this happiness lawyer. Yeah. I saw that on your website. What is that? In my spare time, like I said, I'm winding winding down my traditional practice of law and going to be focusing on motion practice only by the end of next year. But with my personal brand and business, I write and speak on wellness, female entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship in general, well-being. And then I looked at coaching lawyers and not that other people couldn't benefit from overcoming addiction to the status quo, but I know lawyers, I am one, so I can relate all more to it. As a branding tactic, and because it's true, and I want to stand out from other coaches, I branded as the happiness lawyer because that's first of all such a like <laughs> like a oxymoron. It's not even funny. Turns out the domain name was very free for that because nobody <laughs> puts happiness and lawyer together, so that worked out well. My goal is to help lawyers be happy. To me, success is being happy and being happy is being the best version of yourself. And I think people just get so lost trying to figure out what that is, or they think it's being successful in the traditional sense, which is making money, having a big law firm, winning all these cases. Those things can be good, but defining yourself by what you do as opposed to who you are, I think is the downfall of so many people just in terms of happiness. You know, the reality is none of us know when our time is. It could be tomorrow, it could be in, you know, 50 years from now. But the saddest thing to me is that you could get to the end of your life and look back and say, wow, I really wish I had done something differently. And by that point, it's too late. Now, what about the self-care part of it? If we want to live, we have to take care of ourselves. We have to eat well, exercise. I'm guilty of not exercising. I've spent a lot of, (laughs) I've done a lot of sitting during COVID. I've got the COVID middle going on and self-care is definitely someplace. I mean, granted, I do take showers. So yeah, um, (laughs) we're good. We're good there. (laughs) When you say self-care, like it doesn't mean pedicure or something. What what is it? What does it mean? A self-care? I actually, yeah, I made a post about that not too long ago. I was getting my hair done for, I think the first time. And I can't remember how long. And I was like, not all self-care is beauty-based, but you know, beauty-based stuff is self-care. So yes, getting a pedicure can be self-care, but self-care goes far beyond that. It is you know, setting time aside for yourself to just reflect. It's time to meditate. It's spending time with your family, knowing yourself well enough to know what feeds you and gives you life and makes you who you are. And then building that into your life. That's the part about that balance, making it a pie and a pie that reflects what you need out of life. All of that's self-care. I'm passionate about what I do, but it doesn't consume every waking minute of my life. It can't. It used to, and it's easy to fall into that trap, but you will not be a happy individual. I don't care how much you love your job and your business if that is all-consuming. It's just not what makes humans humans. There's so much more to it, and there's so much more to who you are than what you do. Even if it's like the best job and altruistic and you're helping people, you still have to be the individual that you are. You kind of touched on this a little bit earlier about having me time. And 
for me, I'm an extrovert, but I have to have me time. Otherwise, yeah. I go insane. What are your suggestions about me time? Like, should we set some time aside for that or set boundaries so that we have our me time? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. So I think it's easier when you are an introvert. It's almost like a default, right? It's a default program to go like, I'll just stay home. But I know I need to get out there and be with my friends, you know, and I have a small collection of really, really close friends that I've known for years. Allocating your weekends that way. My husband's an extrovert by nature and we've adapted to each other over the years, but I can't do something every weekend night, you know, like Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. Like I just can't go all three nights. I will not be a happy individual and nobody will want to be around me. So if I know I'm going to do one big thing that weekend, great. That's what I planned for. Maybe going out in the evening and then doing brunch the next day, obviously like COVID being the exception to things. But generally speaking, getting together with people and doing like one thing on the weekend. And then maybe it's reverse for you. Maybe if you're an extrovert, you go out, you know, two nights and stay in one night, but building that time in for yourself because nobody else is going to do it for you. When you get to that point, it's easy to just brush it off or put it to the side and say, oh, I'm going to go do this. or I'm going to go do that. If you build it in, it's easier to be more intentional about what you're trying to do. I have to ask you about some of your volunteer work that you've done. I noticed that you work with the Animal Legal Defense Fund and that you also request vegetarian for events. So tell me a little bit about the self. Must be an animal lover. I am. Yes. I was rescuing animals in like fifth grade scaling eight foot fences to get kittens during recess. My assistant principal coming out like, what are you doing? I'm like, clearly I'm saving a cat. Like I said, that's the most normal thing in the world. So it started early, but yeah, I've always been an animal person. I've done animal rescue and I've volunteered with a number of organizations, but the Animal Legal Defense Fund is a great group. They're all attorneys and they're based out of California. But what they do is they advocate for domestic, wild, entertainment, farm animals, all that, all different types of animals to enforce the laws, make the laws better and ensure that they're being treated the way they should be treated within the realm of the law or making the law better so they can be treated better at the end of the day. So it's really just a great group um, of people. And they that's what I love. I think it's I kind of nerd out on it with a law because you can you know, make so much change with something that people would never have normally thought you could. It's just like, oh, well, we have to appeal to everybody's compassion. Well, not everybody feels the same way we do. And do we think they should? Sure. But the reality is they don't. So where can we make a change? And what can we use to make a change for the animals? And so the law is something that governs all of us. So being able to use that is really powerful, I think. Very cool. Before I went back to school to become a CPA, I was thinking about going back to uh, school to study law. And I live in Portland, Oregon. We have the Lewis and Clark, which has the the animal law department. I really thought about that, but then I looked at the student loans. Yeah, it's it's an amazing group. We actually had an animal law seminar at my school. So in the Southeast is notorious for animal issues and things like that. Just not as progressive up as, you know, your end of the country. It was great to have that seminar and really be able to delve into different topics. I wrote a paper on basically not personhood of animals, but animals having standing in cases. So that's one of the biggest issues. Like how can, like somebody has to have standing. It has to affect you. You can't go to court on my behalf for something that I've been injured for. That's not the way it works. There are a couple of exceptions. If I'm somebody who has a mental incapacitation, you know, or mentally incapacitated, I can have basically somebody represent me because I don't have the ability to. And that was my argument is having 
a human be appointed on behalf of animals because they don't have the capacity to represent themselves, much like a child or somebody who has a you know mental handicap, do the same thing. It's not that they shouldn't be afforded the same protections by the same laws that are literally written to protect them. So how do we actually enforce those protections other than advocating that somebody represent them or be appointed to represent them? It's just really interesting. And I think there was actually a case recently that that's the argument they made and the um, appellate court actually upheld it in terms of giving them that option to have a representative. That's really neat. And you're a member of the ACLU. I love the organization. I was on the Youth Outreach Committee here in Portland. Why do you like the ACLU? I know there's a lot of controversy around ACLU, but from your stance, what is it that you appreciate about them? I just appreciate the vast scope of what they accomplish and what they do. And I'm a huge proponent of protecting civil liberties. In particular, what's always stood out to me is one of the cases or one of the instances, I guess, was, I guess it was back in the 70s, maybe. There was a a Black lawyer who ended up representing a member of the KKK in a free speech lawsuit. As a lawyer, it's challenged me. And as a person, individual person, it's challenged me like, okay, of course, I abhor what the KKK stands for and represents all that. As a lawyer, I think one of the most paramount things of our country that's, you know, makes us who we are is the ability to say what we think, even if I think somebody's horrible and what they're saying is horrible. And there are ramifications of that, right? You can't have, you know, incite violence. You can't, you know, just go anywhere and say anything. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. There, there are things that limit it. But generally speaking, just because I don't agree with it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to say it. I think, I can't remember who quoted it, is like, I'll, I may not def- uh, agree with you, but I'll defend your right to say it. And that's, that's really stuck with me. Again, I don't agree with it, but if I start drawing that line, even though I feel like I'm right, where, where do we stop drawing that line? And at what point do we say, okay, now we're just going to say only what this subgroup of people say we can. And I just think that's so crucial to who we are as a country and our identity and literally like why we broke off from England is to be able to have our own identity and values and say what we wanted to that is just one issue that I'm you know, passionate about, but clearly advocating for underprivileged and minority groups, it gets to my soul. I just, I'm so passionate about the idea of people not being treated differently just because they're different. To me, it sounds so logical. Like, why would you even treat anybody differently? But obviously that's not the reality that we're in. There's plenty of people that don't think that, that should be the case. So having an entire group dedicated to that. And again, it's the same thing as like with the animals, using the law Because just because we believe it doesn't mean everybody does. So what can we do to force sometimes people to do what's the right thing, using the law to advocate for people and and the voiceless, basically, at that point? Freedom of speech is one of the things I'm very passionate about. I used to live in the South. I lived in Florida. And I remember remember the KKK were going to come to a park in my neighborhood And people were really upset about it. Again, I don't agree with what they have to say. I'm an activist, human rights and animal rights activism. And they should, this sounds terrible, but they should have as much right to speak as I do about the subjects. As long as they're not injuring somebody. Right, absolutely. They're not burning things down or whatever. Intimidating people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. because if we silence them, then who knows who's going to silence me next. And as an activist, it's actually 
kind of scary because they make these laws where it's now you can't do animal rights activism and there's these gray lines what might happen if you do certain things and if you say something about a corporation what yes. might happen and so it's pretty scary it is a topic that I'm passionate about as well how can people work with you besides you being their lawyer your public speaker people must hire you tell us about that Absolutely. So um, the best place to reach me is on my website, Catherine F. Burmeister or thehappinesslawyer.com. Working with me to have a speaker, again, speaking about female entrepreneurship, being a business owner, wellness, self-care, all those things I write as well. So for blog posts or articles, and then lawyers that want to work with me as their coach and their guide to happiness, you can reach out to me there as well. Of course, social media is on there and linked there as well. And my book is also available for download and purchase on Amazon. We'll have links in the show notes as well. Yeah. Catherine, it's been great to have you on and it, it's been an interesting conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Heather. I really appreciate it.